Welcome to the Imposture to Unstoppable podcast, where physicians can learn how to overcome imposter syndrome and create the career of their dreams. I am here today with Dr. Anu Verma, who has been in practice for 18 years as a board-certified nephrologist. She believes in the power of the medical narrative and is the co-author of the book, The Chronicles of Women in White Coats 2. Welcome, Anu. Nice to have you. Thank you, Dr. Yates. Kristen. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, so tell me about your experience with imposter syndrome throughout your career. Yes. So, of course, um, when I started my career, I didn't know what imposter syndrome was. Yeah. I mean, as with all your work on this, you know, it was first described in 1978. And even so, I had never heard of it till maybe five, six years ago, even. Yeah. So all my um, thoughts of self-doubt when I entered medical school um, were, I now looking back, um, were a, a manifestation of imposter syndrome. Yeah. And it kept me from uh, feeling well throughout my medical school journey. I had feelings of self-doubt, anxiety, mm. feeling that I would be expelled from the school. I was not good enough. Yeah. Um, especially because medicine was not my first choice of career. And mm. I wrote right about it in my book chapter about how I wanted to be a journalist initially and why I chose medicine. Um, so it wasn't my first choice. And I felt like an imposter for a good part of medical school. Mm. Yeah. And of course, it didn't end there. Um, residency was so busy and so hard, but I was um, just taken aback by everything, everybody being so competitive and, you know, the workload was very high back in the day and having feelings of self-doubt just made it harder. Yeah. So um, the only time I think it went away for a bit was during my fellowship. Mm -hmm. I think I found uh, my niche there and, um, we were on, it was a small fellowship program. And so I was able to assert myself. I had to kind of assert yeah. myself and bring my voice, find my true authentic voice. And I think it went away for a little bit, but as an attending, it reared its ugly head again. Mm -hmm. And I think it actually contributed to my burning out initially until I recognized it for what it was and took it head on. And decided to do that. Yes. Awesome. So what do you, do you think there were any particular things that were, that you put you at risk for feeling that self-doubt as a medical student? Um, yes. One was that medicine was not my first love. Yeah. And I came by it as a choice out of the condition I was raised in. Like I talk in my chapter, I was raised in a patriarchal society. The only, I had no mentors except in science. My parents were in science. My whole family was doctors. And it was expected that you would do that and that you couldn't succeed at anything else. Mm. I know it's the other way for other, most doctors that, yeah. you know, they told you can't be a doctor. But for me, I was told that was the only way I could have a career, only way I could break the chains of patriarchy, get out of the system, have some, you know, some say as a woman. Yeah in our in my society that I grew up in. Wow. 
And uh, so I did that. And there, everybody is, I mean, I was a high achieving student, as we all are when we get into med school. We're at the top of our class. Mm-hmm. Most of us, anyway, uh, try to be. And then when you get there, everybody is smarter, as smart as you and as accomplished and as capable as you are. And the um, competition is intense. And there were always more men than women in medical school, except for recently back then. Mm-hmm. You know, we're talking 20, more than 20 years ago. Yeah. So um, you just kind of sink into the background and... Um, you don't, um, you know, realize that you belong there, that you earned a spot in medical school. You're not taking it away from anyone more deserving or another male who's more deserving. Yes. Yeah. You earned it. So with, you know, with the fact that you've recently been a co-author of a book, it seems as though you're bringing that, that love of journalism back into your life. Is that something that's kind of always been with you throughout your medical career? And yes, that's interesting because no, Mm, and actually, (laughs) um, you know how medicine is all consuming. Yes. yes. And you just, um, it, all you're reading with medical books and journals and, um, you know, you don't have time for anything else and you feel guilty if you do something else, you you find a hobby or you do something other, God forbid, other than look after your family or your medical patients, you know? So, um, no, I didn't, even though I used to be an avid reader and writer. I wrote plays in my childhood that were even enacted in school. You know, I wrote little plays and books and things, stories. And um, I had a love of reading that my parents fortunately encouraged. Like, Mm -hmm. but then I lost it all. And so writing back, I started very late, actually, as an attending and that took me, uh, and after many years of being an attending, um, I saw my patients and I felt, as I talk about in my book chapter, uh, the first one, I listened to them and I realized that their stories need to be told. Mm-hmm. And my story needs to be told because we all go through a lot getting to yeah. where we are um, as physicians or even you know, in other careers. You have to have some level of grit, resilience, some you know, power over adversity. Our patients have that too, mm-hmm. especially my, you know, nephrology patients, kidney p- disease patients on dialysis. I saw that their stories needed to be told. My stories need to be told. And that if we don't tell these stories, who will? Yeah. I mean, who has gone through these experiences? We are all unique in our experiences. And mm-hmm. this was a way for me to overcome burnout to even overcome imposter syndrome by writing things down and saying, okay, I did all this. Yeah. Yeah. It was an affirmation of what I could achieve and of better things to come. That's great. And I was actually, you answered my next question, which was going to be how has, or has journalism and writing again allowed you to break free of that imposter syndrome? Um, But it sounds like it has. Yes. And yeah. it didn't, I didn't realize that it was going to help me do that. Mm-hmm. I just wrote it. I just started writing because as I said, I wanted to be a journalist and I thought, okay, if I get back to my hobbies now, writing was one of them and yeah. I can do that. And um, the stories in medicine that you see and encounter every day are powerful. Yeah. You know, and so I started out by doing that, by writing because of that. But then I realized that my writing was good. I had that to my credit and writing and communicating is an important skill as a physician. Yeah. 
that nobody can take from you, you know. Mm-hmm. So I felt that, okay, I'm a good doctor. I'm able to communicate with patients. I do empathize with them. I can, uh, you know, relate to them and um, go through their history, which is an important part of, you know, communication. And yeah. I said, oh, I'm a good physician. Nobody can take that from me. And I don't have to feel inadequate or that I don't belong or that, um, you know, so it really helped me um, recover from from feelings of anxiety and lack of self-worth, especially as a minority woman and mm-hmm. as a brown woman. And as a woman in general, you are, you have these anxieties and feelings of um, less deserving and that yes you put time for your children and your family that men maybe don't put as much time for Mm -hmm. so they deserve to get ahead more than you but we forget that we have other skills that more than compensate for maybe a little time that we may spend more with our family yeah which is a good thing (laughs) oh for sure and I think that you're right to say that it's only recently that that women are kind of encouraged more to to embrace that aspect of themselves you know that nurturing that that if you have children the the mothering and the family centered role and it's not in competition with your ability to be a physician it can definitely be complementary but i think that's a new message for a lot of women very very true exactly yes i mean earlier on we were told don't cry with in front of your patients don't mm-hmm. cry with them don't hug them don't get close to them and all that is changing because uh and i never listened to that i would cry yeah. you know sometimes i would go and cry secretly in the clo- in the bathroom but now if my tears are coming out i feel that it helps me show patients that i care which i do yeah and that was something I also lost my empathy when, which I, um, you know, people have different ways of recognizing burnout and yeah. I lost my empathy and I said, I didn't care anymore because I was just trying to go through the motions, trying to get through the work day and survive, Yeah, you know? And so that's when you write things down, you realize, okay, you didn't really respond nicely to that patient. You didn't really care enough. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that was when I realized my feelings of burnout as well. Yeah. So did did imposter syndrome and your self doubt influence your burnout at all? Was it a was it a cause of it, or was it something different? I think it definitely um, contributed to it. Yeah. And potentiated it because when you do when you have that syndrome, you're always trying to do more read more and learn more and check on yourself more again and again. Did you do this right? I would lay awake in bed, you know, thinking, did I do the right thing for this patient? And it took me at least 10 years in clinical practice as an attending to realize that I was getting it right, you know. And some of it is good. You know, some people say there's some benefit to imposter syndrome because you're not overconfident. Mm -hmm. And you can you self-check and, you know, you learn and you read more. But I think we do that anyway as physicians. We know that we have to do that. Yeah. But over-ruminating and over-checking on yourself and, you know, can sometimes hold you back. And so I think it definitely contributed. 
Yeah, sounds like for sure. I just want to point out one thing that you said because it's been a it's been a theme and it's very important, I think, that your focus on the patient and getting and, and hearing their story and, and the and the value of your relationship with the patient has really helped you with to combat these feelings of self-doubt. And I think for physicians in particular, that is something that can be extremely beneficial. It's been beneficial for me as well. So I just wanted to, to highlight that, that concept that you said, because I think it's a very valuable um, um, concept for other people to, to be aware of how much it can help them with, with their feelings of imposter syndrome. Yes, yes. Um, being appreciated by your patients and knowing that you're making a difference in their lives mm-hmm. and helps you too. You know, yeah. you come back home, you feel fulfilled. And yeah. medicine can be very fulfilling, but if you let imposter syndrome, you know, overcome you, then you lose that fulfillment that we all went into medicine for. Yeah, for sure. You had mentioned um, earlier about authenticity and how you found your authentic self. I want to talk a little bit more about that. Um, I think it's some, definitely something that is a challenge, <laughs> for sure, <laughs> for but sure. really yeah. protect, protect us against feeling like an imposter when you have this ownership of like, this is who I am and I'm happy to be this person. That can really help just your you know, confidence and everything. So how did you come to find that authenticity in your life? Yes. Um, you know, it uh, helps to have two different uh, perceptives. Like my husband is a physician and he's a male physician and his perspective was different on things. He's a great doctor. I mean, his patients are so fond of him and he listens and he tells to, and he, you know, he loves his work. But um, I also had to bear the burden of um, child care and family at home being a two dual physician family as well. So um, just finding that this was important to me to work-life balance and that there was nothing wrong with that and spending more time with patients that needed it and less with those that didn't, you know, just being true to yourself and exploring my own hobbies of writing and journaling and thinking of it as a form of meditation Mm -hmm. and not as a, as an extraneous self, you know, um, not as an extraneous hobby, but as a form of meditation for me. Yeah. Um, you know, and that helped me a lot in being authentic to myself. I did not feel guilty. This was helping me connect with my patients and give them my best self, which was important as a physician. Yeah, that's perfect. And, and a very, another really good message because so we're so focused, I think, to being selfless and to never, to always have focusing outward. But what we forget is that when we lose ourselves and when we never are focusing on our own self-care and becoming the person that we are meant to be, we are really also not, we're doing a disservice to our family and to our patients by not really committing to ourselves and providing the best care for ourselves. Very, very true. And that is something that you, it's good if you can discover that early Yeah. before, you know, you, you let it get to the point where it's harder to bounce back Yeah. or you get disillusioned from medicine. Uh, right. The sooner you discover that and take it into action and give your authentic self to others and your patients, your family, the better mm-hmm. it is for everyone. 
Yeah. And I think it's a challenge, unfortunately, still in, in, in medical school and in residency, where obviously it's very rigorous training for good reason, right? I mean, you're becoming yes. a physician, but I think the culture, if we could shift the culture, just as, you know, you probably can't focus on your hobbies as much as a student or a resident, but if we could at least let residents and and people in training know that the importance of it early on so that it's not a surprise to them when they burn out in 10 years. Exactly. Exactly. The reason why it's so important is to start early and discover it. And as I said, I lost my authentic self in medical school and residency and fellowship uh, in a way. So it was good to finally get it back after more than 10 years of being an attending, but it would have made my journey easier and more fulfilling. Yeah. And probably would have been better for some of my patients too when I lost my empathy for a while and then had to gain it back. Yeah. And I think it's, it's important. It happens to all of us and having this, this you know, grace with yourself and say like, I'm a human being and I've recognized that this is where I'm headed and I'm going to make it better instead of making yourself feel worse. Yes. After something true. like that. So true. So what do you, when you have those moments of self-doubt now, what helps you to kind of recover um, more quickly? Yeah. So as um, writing things down about your self-doubt and gives you a clearer vision of where you are and how you can move forward. And it helps you uh, affirm things that are important and things that you have to overcome. Mm -hmm. So I think journaling helps me a lot to write down my self-doubt. Even now I have self-doubt. Are people going to read my book? Are they going to appreciate my chapter? Mm -hmm. Are my patients or coworkers or colleagues in medicine going to read it and say, what is she doing on the side? Is she wasting her time? She should be focusing on her patients and her practice, you know, Mm -hmm. and you have all these self doubts. And so writing those things down and getting feedback from people you trust is important. And, um, you know, to, and your family to give you the true picture. And you realize that this is important work too. And, you, you just kind of, um, you know, people you trust, talk to people, write it down, move forward, learn to uh, know that what helped you in the past can help you again mm-hmm. and um, helps, you, you know, schedule me time, schedule time to keep going forward and uh, scheduling work things and writing things and having a balance is really important. So I, I think it does help to move forward from that, from feelings of self-doubt. Absolutely. I 100% agree. Well, thank you so much. You, you have provided a lot of great pearls. <laughs> if, you could, <laughs> if you could give like your top advice to someone who's struggling with imposter syndrome today, what would it be? Yes. Um, um, that's a good question because there's so many ways to do it, to yeah. overcome it. Is, and actually, you know, 66% of doctors have suffered from it. So both men and women, of course, um, yeah. suffer from it. So it's really an important advice. I would say getting up in the morning and, um, you know, visualizing and affirming what you have done so far, you'd got into medical school. You have already done something really hard. 
then you went on to do residency, which is just as hard, if not harder for some. Mm -hmm. And you deserve to be where you are, where everybody else around you is. And you know what they say, people, what we see as ordinary in ourselves, people see as amazing Mm -hmm. in you. So everything that we think is not, is ordinary about us may actually be amazing to others. So believe in that and keep doing the ordinary things because those are amazing to people around you. That's perfect. Well, thank you so much. It was great talking to you. um, And I can't wait to um, read more about you in your book chapter. Yes, thank you. I hope you enjoy it. (laughs) And thanks for having me on. Thank you. Thanks for the important work you're doing with this podcast. Oh, thank you for saying that. You're welcome. (laughs) One more thing before you go. I wanted to tell you about the amazing course I just put together and is available now and live at the lowest price I'll ever offer it. And it is all about how to coach yourself. So if you have been considering getting a coach, haven't been able to commit, worried about the financial investment, or just not quite sure if it's the right thing for you yet, then self-coaching is a really, really good place to start. It's exactly where I started my journey to becoming the confident and fulfilled physician that I am today and living with intention and living with purpose. For the past two years, have been working on material that I could offer other women to help them to get to where I am because there's nothing special about me. Anyone can feel this way with the proper tools and that's what self-coaching provides. So it is an in-depth and complete look into self-coaching, including what it is, why it's so important, all the tools that you need to know about self-coaching, and even a special module designed just to help you to solve your biggest everyday problems, including imposter syndrome, which so many of us struggle with. It also includes access to the private Facebook group where you can ask questions or seek support. And the part I'm most excited about is the opportunity to hop on group coaching calls every month where we can talk about specific problems that you're having. It's a safe environment where I can give you some personalized help and support as you go along this course and well beyond. Check out the link in the show notes page for this one-of-a-kind self-coaching course. It's designed mostly geared towards physician women or professional women who are struggling in their day-to-day life with a feeling of lack of confidence, feeling like an imposter, feeling like you're going through life reacting to everybody else's problems and no real direction for where your own life is going. I can help you get there and self-coaching is the way to do it.